Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. Well, this is exciting. We have former congressional spouse, first lady of Indiana, and the second lady of the United States with us this morning. She's been a school teacher for more than 30 years, started her own watercolor business. She's also mother of three married kids and a granddaughter. Uh, she lives with her family in Zionsville, Indiana. Let's welcome Karen Pence to the show. Welcome, Thank Karen. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Both uh, Misty and I used to live in Indiana. So we did, yeah. I remember uh, your husband well, as well as you. Yeah. yeah. So this is exciting. So you've written a book. It's when it's your turn to serve, experiencing God's grace and his calling for your life. And on the picture of this book, Karen, there's a bee and a flower. And so uh, I'd like to talk about, um, you talk a lot about poetry and bees in your book. And you quote uh, Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are the honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing the bones, which leads to the, the poet Robert Frost. Tell us more about this, where this came, where this came from. Well, you know, I wanted to write a book uh, after I left office uh, that t- told some of the stories about the initiatives that um, I was able to champion. And a lot of people don't hear a lot about what you're doing in the office of the second lady, but um, we had a lot of great initiatives and there were a lot of wonderful things I got to experience as first lady of Indiana as well. But I didn't want to write a memoir. I didn't want this book about Karen Pence's life. But what I wanted to do was to encourage the reader to step up when they feel called to serve. And I wanted to list some of the great things that we accomplished as a way of showing, look what I would have missed if I hadn't done these things, if I hadn't stepped up and answered God's call. And so the book is meant to be, Mike, an encouragement to the reader. Um, I want the reader to really feel like, oh, well, if she did this, maybe I am supposed to go take this job or move to this neighborhood or encourage this friend of mine. Um, And so it's kind of filled with those kind of stories. But the B is because when I became first lady of Indiana, um, I heard that another uh, governor's spouse in another state had started a beehive on the property where the governor's residence is. And in Indiana, we have six acres. And I thought, this is perfect. So we started a beehive. And then when I became second lady of the United States, one of the first questions I asked was, do we have bees? Is there a beehive at the residence? And there wasn't, even though the White House, the White House does have a beehive. And so I said, well, we have to start a beehive here as well. And so what we did was we championed the cause of the honeybee uh, really everywhere that we went. We visited beehives all over the world and um, we had a lot of fun doing it. And one of the other things I did as second lady was uh, work with our veterans uh, to prevent veteran suicide. And we visited lots of beekeeping programs for our veterans. And so the bees have kind of become special to me. And so I really wove them throughout the entire book. So every chapter 
starts with a B fact. And it, it's been a, a lot of fun doing that. So I thought I have to do a watercolor on the front of a B. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. That's well, we, gorgeous. We can't wait to hear some B facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you use the metaphor of bees and adapted it to life. Can you delve into that a little bit? Because it was just so fascinating. Well, it was fun because um, this was an idea I had when when the book was well, maybe about halfway done or so. I thought, you know, it'd be fun. All of these chapters, you know, I could really put a B fact that goes along with what we're talking about in this chapter. Uh, for example, I talk about how the fact that all three of our kids got married between election day 2016 and election day 2020. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So like <laughs> But there is a fun little bee fact that when the beehive, when it starts to get too big, the queen bee will leave and a swarm of bees will go with her to start a new hive. And I thought, well, that's that's a bee fact we could put at the top of that chapter. So uh, and then there's a chapter on secret service. And so we could put, you know, a bee fact at the top of that about the the guard bees. And so we found that as we went through each chapter, it was like, well, you could do this B fact. This goes along with, uh, you know, all the travel that we did, all the trips. Well, one of the facts is, is that a bee in their short six to eight week lifespan travels one and a half times around the planet Earth, that wow. same distance. Wow. And so there were just little facts like that that we tried to incorporate. And that's a lot of buzzing. Yeah, really. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> <Funny>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you uh you mentioned the the program with the veterans and and using bees to help them. How is it that um cuz I've I've read stories about different nonprofits that will use that in and you know different rehabilitation behaviors. How is it that beekeeping translates into to helping with other issues? I love that. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating and don't pretend to be an expert, but just to give you the, you know, in a nutshell, um, basically, you know, our vets come back and uh, not all of them, but some of them have a post-traumatic stress disorder and they have some uh, difficulty transitioning back into everyday life and one of the things that's difficult for someone who's been in the military is that they've been part of this team. They've been part of this group for so long and their identity is with that group. And then when they're in everyday life, they're kind of on their own again, and it can be difficult. Well, one of the things that happens when you become a beekeeper is that this is your team. And you become part of this team of, of taking care of these bees, just like you took care of your comrades in battle. And it's this sense of being part of that little hive. There's something about it with the brain that it it's healing. It's also just therapeutic. Uh, you know, if you if you look at the bees ever, if you ever have a chance to be with a beekeeper where they can, you know, take off the top of the hive and you watch the bees, it's just the motions, the sounds are just uh, therapeutic 
where you're kind of you kind of get drawn into working with the bees and um there's just something about it i can't explain what happens in the brain but we do see that it does happen with our veterans the the other area we see that is art therapy and that was the very first initiative that i championed as second lady because the brain is malleable you can heal the brain so even if you have stress from something that maybe happened seven or eight years ago working with an art therapist or a dance therapist or music therapist um, drama therapist there's something about stress and trauma that affects the side of the brain that is the verbal side and so many times our vets will come back or maybe you'll have a child who's going through cancer treatment. It doesn't have to be, you know, combat. But when your body has ex or your mind has experienced trauma, you have a difficult time talking about it. And so our vets would come back or our kids would be in the hospital dealing with cancer and they don't know how to talk about it. They, they can't seem to express and get the therapy that they need. And so there's something about art therapy, which is, um, you know, it's not just, you know, drawing a picture. You're actually working with a licensed art therapist who has a master's or doctorate level training. And there's something about the art where when you start working with the art, drawing something or painting or with clay i've heard our vets say once i started then i could tell the therapist that's my nightmare uh, on paper that's my nightmare and then they could talk about it and receive the healing so it, it's another fascinating uh field as well mm, i love that i you know i i've also read about them using beekeeping with um, foster kids and people with um, that are on the spectrum to help them like form social connections. So it sounds like beekeeping is just therapeutic in so many ways, which obviously makes it a huge gift from God. So I imagine that through this interest in beekeeping, you've learned something about God as well. Can you share that? <laughs> yes. Um, and I just uh, last week spoke at um, the chapel service for the school where I taught for 15 years and went back and did a book signing and spoke. And I said to these kids, you know, I said, God gave the bee everything they needed to, to perform their purpose, uh, to live out what their purpose was. And if he can do that for a little tiny honeybee, surely he can give me everything that I need for the purpose that he's calling me to. And every time I went to visit a beekeeper, I would learn something new that would just fascinate me. Like, for example, every single bee, when they make that little hexagonal shape in the beehive, um, when they're working in the honeycomb in that section, they're all made at the same time teeny tiny slant just enough so that the honey will not come out and just enough that the larvae will not come out whatever they're putting in that cell and i found that fascinating um i went to i tell the story in the book about i went to visit a beekeeper in montana once and he tells me this story he says oh mrs pence i can tell you which bees are leaving the hive and which bees are coming back to the hive and 
I said, okay, I'll bite because I don't believe you that you really tell tell me that. Um, And he said, well, the bees that are coming back, their little pollen sacs on their tiny legs are loaded with yellow pollen. And if you look closely, the bees that are lower to the ground are that are buzzing around the hive, waiting their opportunity to go into the hive. If you look at their legs, they're full of little yellow pollen sacs. And I looked closely and he was absolutely right. And I thought, how fascinating that was. That's cool. Wow. I mean, who knew, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? You know, I, I think one of the most exciting things about sharing our faith in Jesus and Christianity is that we can tell people that there is a plan and a purpose for their life. That's what digging through your book did for me was that's what you're saying here with experiencing God's grace in his calling on your life. And what a colorful life you have had, you know, a journey as a worship leader, school teacher, watercolor business, beekeeper, um, on and on. Tell me about that moment when you're able to identify that that plan and purpose for your life. And maybe even when you knew it was time to transition because you've had those moments too. Well, you know, let's be honest. It's, um, it's usually an anxious time when we're trying to figure out what is God's will. I mean, how many times do you feel like if Lord, I want to be obedient, just send me an email and tell me, yes, <laughs> this is the house you're supposed to buy. And I'll buy it. Exactly. Or, this is the school I want you to teach at. And, I, and I'll go. Or you don't want me to, and I won't go. Um, but he, you know, God wants us on our knees. And, and I just think it's fascinating. He, he just reveals enough of the next step for us to be obedient. And sometimes he doesn't want that to be easy. Sometimes he wants us to be taking a risk or stepping out in faith. And I tell a lot of stories about that in the book. You know, one of our favorite verses in the very first campaign was those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And Mike and I kind of wanted to cling to our first little home. We had just gotten married, but that wasn't in the congressional district that that Mike grew up in. And so we had to leave that home and rent a condo in the district in order to run for Congress the first time. So sometimes he asks us to let go of the comfort in life and trust him. But What I found is, um, and I'm sure you all have found this too and your listeners today, you know, God does speak to us in his word. He does. And he does speak to us through counselors and he does give us comfort and peace through prayer. And so when we're making those decisions, um, if we don't just rely on our own ambition, Uh, which, you know, Mike and I did the first two times we ran for Congress. It was our own ambition driving us, not so much a calling. But when we rely on the Lord, once we make that decision, then we have that peace and it starts to settle in. And there's a great little story. Um, When we had to decide to run 
a third time. And I tell this story in the book. And it's these kind of stories that are throughout the book. Um, it, the book is meant to be uplifting and encouraging and to give the reader hope and inspiration. But we had to make a decision. Um, we lost the first two times we ran for Congress. And then we gave up that dream. We had three kids. We built our dream house. I mean, I started my watercolor business. Mike, like you guys, uh, was in radio. And we were very, very content. And the seat that he had run for became open again. And so here we were. People were encouraging us to run. And we were like, oh, my, this would mean selling our dream home, moving to Washington, D.C. with our children, um, how could we raise our children in Washington, D.C.? And just all of these um, anxiety-producing you know, thoughts. Well, I had given Mike a surprise trip to a dude ranch for his 40th birthday. That's fun. And we were riding. It was very fun. He's a big horse person. Um, and so we were riding horses up the top of a trail, just the two of us. And it was in the Teddy Roosevelt National Forest. And we got to the top of this bluff and we got off the horses and we just sat down on the side of the bluff. And And Mike said, we've got to make a decision. Like they need to know, are we running or not? And we've got to decide. And we had done all of the things I just mentioned. We had prayed and we had gone to the word. We've been on our knees. We had counselors, but we had to make that choice, that decision. And as I said, the first two times we ran, we were full of ambition. It's a good thing God did not let us win then because we thought we were God's gift to Washington, D.C., and we wouldn't have been effective. And this time we were trying to make the decision. And right then, these two red tail hawks were just rising on the current. And Mike is kind of a romantic. And he said, oh, those two red tail hawks, they're like us. And I said, well, if those two red-tailed hawks are like us, then I think we should do it. I think we should run. And this time, we're going to just step off this cliff and let God lift us up to where he wants us to be with no ambition and no flapping. And no flapping has kind of become <laughs> our mantra ever since. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is great. Yes. Yeah. No flapping. No, because if cool. you're well, if no you're flapping. flapping, if you're flapping, you're doing it under your own power and yeah. not his. You're trying. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is really good. That's. Mm. I like that. Next time I'm trying to do something on my own, and am I flapping here? What's <laughs> well, you know, Mike, that's a good point because we catch ourselves and yeah. we tell this story to all of our staff. And so they'll kind of catch us or we'll catch each other and and just say, oh, wait a minute, are you flapping? Yep. Are you flapping? <laughs> that's good. I like that. Trust the Lord. Yeah. They'll handle this. Love it. The book is when it's uh, your turn to serve, experiencing God's grace and his calling in your life. And, you know, it seems the Probably, originally, uh, political life was not your initial goal growing up, I assume. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I, I think I put this story in the book, too. I mean, you know, Mike did tell me when we were dating that sometime in the future, you know, in his, you know, later years, yeah. he would like to represent his hometown in the United States Congress. So I, I knew that. Uh, 
But then what happened was he, we kind of got involved as, you know, local precinct committeemen and I was the vice committee woman and, and we got to know our neighbors and we had a lot of fun. And then Mike went and asked the county chairman, you know, what would you recommend for someone who wants to run maybe in their 50s? You know, he was in his 20s then. You know, what should I be doing now? And the county chairman said, you should run. And so Mike called me up uh, at school where I was teaching. He said, Karen, you aren't going to believe this, but the county chairman actually is recommending that I run for Congress. And I said, oh, that's nice. Is that a part-time job? (laughs) 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 And a state rep, you know, and I thought, okay, well, we have part-time state representatives and I didn't read the paper then. I didn't pay attention to anything. And so you're right, Mike, this was not my plan for my life, but this is where God took me. How did God (laughs) help you, I guess, change your plans in your mind or give you the grace to go along with this? Well, and you know what? I think he, he does little things for us when we, when we're obedient. Um, and you know, and I, I want your listeners to understand, you know, it, just because we follow Christ doesn't mean it's, you know, this paved golden path and everything is beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, you don't have any hardships in your life. That would be uh, nice. Sometimes, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> That's on the other side, Mike. Exactly. That That's in heaven. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we still need to be obedient. And so, um, But he does, I do believe this, at least for me, he'll give us little encouragement. And so for me in the political world, I just thought, oh my goodness, what I can't, how can I do this? I don't, when we would be on the campaign trail, I would think, oh, I don't, I don't know what to tell people about gun control. I don't know what to tell them about, you know, economics or um, energy policy. I, I'm not that person. But what I found was on the campaign trail, people just want to share with you what their concerns are. And I could always take those back to Mike and say, well, you know, the people I ran into today are really worried about gas prices uh, or the people I ran in today are very concerned about education. And the most encouraging thing about the campaign trail, even today, when we're in Iowa and New Hampshire so much, is that people who are involved in politics care about their community and the donors these wealthy people who give money to campaigns they don't have to do that they could buy a villa in france but instead they're trying to make our country better and it's a very encouraging and uplifting thing and i i think whatever god calls you to when you step out he'll give you those little moments where you can kind of sit back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for stretching me. Thank you for pushing me out of the nest. Thank you for encouraging me to follow your lead. You know, this this book is is really this amazing story of, of how you and Mike just navigated all these curves that you went through in life, which you've been addressing and trusting God for what's next. But was there ever a time that you really, you felt pretty blindsided And how is it that your faith walked you through that? You know, honestly, um, I think that happens a lot 
uh, at least for me, where I have felt blindsided. A, a great example of that is, um, Misty, one of my favorite verses is where it says in Deuteronomy that God goes before us and searches out places for us to camp. I have clung to that so many times. We moved 18 times. And, Whew, wow. you know, it's not an easy thing to do, <laughs> and especially with kids. But but here's a great little story. There was one time, it was actually when we moved to Washington. So Mike won the election, and um, it. All, I tell all of these details in the book about finding the school and becoming their art teacher and, and then finding a home. And um, my mom flew out with me in uh, December, and we were renting a home, and we got it all set up. We met the moving van, and I wanted it to be so that when the kids pulled up, their rooms were set up, everything was ready to go. Because once Mike was sworn in, we were having like a, a thank you party at our home for all of our supporters. So there was a lot that had to be done ahead of time. So we're all settled. You know, we think everything is just going to be great. March of that year, two people walk through the front door of my home as I'm cooking dinner. No knock, no nothing. Just unlocked the door and walked in a man and a woman. And I was scared to death. And I was like, what are you What are you doing here? And they said, oh, we're sorry. Didn't you know this home has gone into foreclosure? Your landlord was not paying the mortgage. And Whoa. so oh. this guy said, I'm the new owner. And um, I need you uh, to get rid of your dog in the next week. And I need, I'm raising the rent $1,000 a month. And yes, and so, or you need to be out in a week. Well, at that time, there just was nothing available in Washington. And I was, you know, of course, Misty, I felt blindsided. Like, wait a minute, Lord, we followed you. We rented this house. We have it set up. My family is adjusting to this huge transition in our life. And now you're throwing this at me? Well, that next Wednesday, remember we had a week to get out. That Wednesday, our youngest, Audrey, was in kindergarten. And I said, Audrey, we're just going to drive around, okay? We're just going to drive around. I can't find anything any other way. I'm just going to drive around and look for a for rent sign. And sure enough, we found a, a home that said for rent, pulled into the driveway. The owner was there kind of, you know, sprucing up the garden area. I told him our story and he said, no problem. You can move in Saturday. <laughs> and we had all these wonderful helpers who helped us load up everything from that house and move. And we were out that Saturday. And so the new owner, whenever he came to the house, just saw that we were gone and we were out of there and God provided it. Just like that verse in, in Deuteronomy, he went before us and found a place for us to camp. Cool. How I love that. Beautiful that is, is that. Yeah. Wow. You know, I there's something about your personality that I just love. So going along with all of your vocations is your sort of vacations or your recreations. You've had a motorcycle, a pilot's license, you've gone skydiving, me like no, no, and no. <laughs> 
And I like to think that I'm very adventurous. So you take the cake. How, how have these recreations, I'm calling them, how have they fit into your time to serve? You know, honestly, I just, uh, I like to say, uh, there's one point in the book where I say, you know, I let go of the safe and secure and huh. embrace the risky. Um, Love it, it. I've always been a risk taker. It's, I just don't get afraid of, you know, the new things. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But I will tell you, I, I have had a little bit of a, I would say my problem is I don't like it to be a surprise, Sally. So I can I'm with do you on that. You know, like I'll tell Mike, okay, I can go live in a hut in Ghana, but I just have to know that's what we're going to go do. <laughs> you need to know that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. I don't want the surprise. Yeah. I don't want it to be like, oh, tomorrow we're going to Ghana. Um, so I like to think that, you know, I, I can trust God with some of these, you know, changes and risks that we've had to take if I just kind of can prepare for a second. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I must confess, I wish I wish I were better at the surprises, but I, I don't really like life-changing surprises out of the blue. It takes me a minute to kind of like say, okay, okay, I got to talk to God about this. We got to pray about this. I got to prepare. So I'm, I'm kind of a planner that way. I like to have things, you know, in their place. But um but I think maybe those, uh, you know, risky little uh, things that I've enjoyed doing throughout my life have helped me to be a risk taker in politics and some of the things that we've done together as a as a couple. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I just would too like to know if I'm going up in a plane, somebody's going to strap a parachute on me and shove me out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. Preferably before it leaves the ground, you know what's happening. Thank you. Yes. Just, just tell me. <laughs> uh, Karen, you're a lot like my wife. She is not into surprises. And mm -mm. she especially loves the one that I tell her when I forgot to tell her something. That's, that's a different surprise. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so talk about, I, I relate to what you were talking about in the book. You said we can't say yes to every opportunity. Uh, share with us uh, about a time when you had to say no to a request of your time. You know, that's that's the dilemma I think we all face. Um, and so many of my friends, they have these wonderful opportunities and in ministry, especially like at, in their church or ministry or where their kids go to school. And sometimes we just need to say no. Um, and so even though I'm encouraging the reader to you know, accept God's call and step out there, you still have to evaluate it, you know, and I, I don't, I didn't want people to say, oh, well, Karen Pence said, just answer God's call. So here, I'm going to go start a new school, or I'm going to move across the country. That's not really what I'm saying, because I think we always have to weigh it out, you know, and there was a time, I do tell a story of when the kids were little, they were one, two, and three. And I had this opportunity. Um, I was in Bible study fellowship and the teaching leader said, Karen, you would be a great small group leader. And if you're familiar with Bible study fellowship, when you have a small group, it's maybe eight to 10 other women, but the leader is required to also go the day before 
for the entire morning and be trained in what the lesson is going to be for that week. Then they also attend the Bible study the next day. And they also call every member of the group every week and talk through the lesson. It's very, uh, it's a big time commitment. So this wonderful teaching leader, who I absolutely love and admire so much, she said, I feel like maybe God is calling you to be uh, one of the small group leaders. You'd be great. And I said, oh, I don't think so. I don't think he's calling me to do that. <laughs> and she said, well, not feeling it. You, and she, but she said the right thing to me because she's such a wise woman. She said, will you commit to go home and talk with Mike about it and both of you pray about it and then tell me. And we did. We talked through it. We prayed through it. And I called her back and I said, my ministry is Michael, Charlotte, and Audrey. And they're one, two, and three, or they were two, three, and four, I think, because your your youngest has to be two for Bible study fellowship then at least. And I was like, no, the my time needs to be focused on them. You know, I was actually feeling like I did a pretty good job just to make it to this Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lead it. Um, so sometimes, you know, you you don't want to get overcommitted with, quote, doing good for God if it's not really where he's calling you. So yeah. I, I did mm -hmm. try to make that distinction. Yeah, a lot of people have their idea of what God's calling is for your life. Yeah, right. Which, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But you, you just mentioned, you know, your your priority being your family, those that you love. How is it that you were able to teach and lead your children through I mean, it's a pretty public life. That's got to be <laughs> a unique journey. Mm -hmm. We we have the most amazing kids and their spouses. And now we actually have three granddaughters. Um, Ooh, and we have two Congratulations. Um, you know, we, and I tell this in the book, and this might be an encouragement to any of your listeners who maybe are struggling with infertility. Mike and I struggled for six years. And honestly, we weren't sure we were ever going to have a family. And then when, when things started working, it was like three and three years. Um, and it's like, whoa, stop. <laughs> um, it's a lot of blessing. Um, but I, I think that made me a better mother than I, than I would have been if this had happened easily for me. Like God knew what he was doing. He knew there would be times in my kids' lives where they would certainly challenge their mother. And in those times when I would get frustrated with my kids or I'd feel like, where did we go wrong? Why is this child doing this? Um, I could stop and say, wait a minute, Karen, you almost didn't have this, okay? So this is a privilege that God has given you these children to raise. So take a step, take a breath and how would he want you to handle this or that situation? But um, we did try, Misty, to not let that outside political world come through the front door. And uh, when I tell a story, when it was election night uh, for the governor of Indiana, and you know, we, our kids are so much fun. They, we always kind of like to mark special moments uh, with a little gift or a memento. 
And I knew they had something for Mike. You know, I knew they all three had some gift for Mike. You know, Dad, now you're the governor. We're so proud of you. But I didn't know they had a gift for me. And uh, we were in Lucas Oil Stadium here in Indianapolis. And uh, the Lucas family, who are great supporters, they allowed us to use their suite for family and friends on election night. And it was time to go down and accept uh, the victory. And right before we went down, the kids said, wait, 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 mom, we have something for you. And I was like, oh, what you do? And so we went into the little bathroom <laughs> in the suite, the only private place we could get. And they gave me probably the best gift I have ever received. They gave me this little, one of those little foldable frames where it has three sections, little silver frame, just, you know, four by five, three little frames. And inside each one, they had written their favorite momism. <laughs> and my son, Michael, his was, I'm not going to let what's going on out there affect what's going on in here. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of, you know, to answer your question, Missy, that was that was kind of uh, the rule at our house. At that time, you know, no, people didn't have cell phones, but Mike had a Blackberry and we had a little uh, dish uh, on the piano right by the front door. And um, his staff knew how to reach him if there was an emergency. But the Blackberry went in the dish when he came home at night, when he finally came home from votes when he was in Congress. So. I tried to kind of keep family life as normal as we could. Love that. In fact, I was going to ask you about those momisms because as a mom myself and now also a grandmother like you, I love that you put them in there. So do you remember Charlotte's? Yes. Charlotte's was you teach your kids um, how to follow their dreams by mm. fighting for yours. Mm. Oh, mm. That's good. Wow, yeah. Um, and then and Audrey's, did that. Was, Audrey's was, um, I hear you and I'm listening. Mm, I like what a that. gift. Wow. To give because, anybody, yeah. I hear yeah. you and I'm listening. Mm. That's yeah, awesome. Because honestly, you know, uh, and that was at a difficult time for Audrey because Audrey had to move back to Indiana when she was a senior in high school. And it, it wasn't oh, pleasant. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, she just really needed to vent to me and it didn't really need me to say, oh, you know, you'll be fine. Get over it. She needed me to have some empathy and say, I hear you and I'm listening. And I know this is not hard and I wish you wouldn't have had to do this. I think we could all do a lot more listening and not so much jumping in and advising. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, uh, you encourage people to look for opportunities right in front of them by using a specific speech called, who's on your stool? <laughs> Talk about yes. that. What's that all about? Well, when I was first lady of Indiana, um, I was asked to speak to a, a group of, uh, you know, uh, fellow Christians. And it was a, it had some great speakers that day. And I was honored to be one of them. And I decided to, uh, I wrote this speech. Um, you could see it online if you Google it, who's on your stool. And 
I talk about how, you know, at night, you know, when I was cooking dinner, we had this stool in the kitchen and one of the kids would maybe sit up there when I was, you know, sauteing vegetables or chopping up vegetables and setting the table, getting things ready for dinner. And they would sit on the stool and they would maybe, you know, share something from the day. It's a lot easier to kind of get something off your chest if you're not like face to face. True. So yeah. I was kind of putzing around the kitchen. They could say, hey, mom, um, this happened today at school. Uh, Got to tell you about this. And I started kind of elaborating on that. You know, sometimes those moments would happen when we were in the car where we weren't face to face and they could just kind of say something without this intense, you know, eye contact. Um, and I talked about who is on your stool? Who Who is someone that you need to be, um, you know, working on that relationship or listening to, or who's trying to reach out to you in a subtle way that you need to pay attention to? And um, the interesting thing was, um, I mean, I I enjoyed doing the speech and I, I loved it. I brought the stool actually to the speech and had it sitting right there. And, I love that. Uh, because I'm an elementary teacher. And so I like the visuals. <laughs> and so at the end, you know, I met back up with my staff. I didn't know how it was going to affect them. My chief of staff was sobbing. Oh, wow. And I... I was like, what, why, like, why did this affect you that way? And she said, you know, I have a man back home. She was, her home was about an hour and a half from Indianapolis. And she said, I think God is telling me through your talk that, um, you know, he's on my stool and uh, he wants us to get married and he wants me to invest the time to see if if that is what God is calling us to. And I can't really do that while I'm your chief of staff in Indianapolis. And so she quit. Wow. <laughs> I have to go home. I have to go home. And it's your speech that convicted me. And they are happily married now. <laughs> oh, neat. Wow, that's yeah. neat. That's, that's cool. <laughs> we have stools at home. I better pay attention who's on the stool. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. I love these watercolors. How kind of you to tuck them into your book. I know our time is quickly coming to an end, but can you tell us a little bit about your um, art therapy? Yeah, you know, and uh, well, let me tell you about the watercolors because that was a that was a last minute thing, kind of. Um, we hadn't decided if we were going to put photos in or what we were going to do. And um, the publisher started talking to me about the watercolors. And I said, well, you know, I actually do have a watercolor for almost every chapter. Like when I talk about Special Olympics, I have the watercolor that I gave to all of the athletes. Um, you know, when I talk about the years in Congress, I have the watercolor of the Capitol Dome that I did in 2010. Um, you know, I have the watercolor of hummingbirds that I did because that was my code name, my Secret Service code name. But um, oh. but the art therapy, yeah, the art therapy is fascinating. And that's 
that's something if anybody in your listening audience uh, wants to know more about, they really should look look up art therapy because it is a it's a very uh, healing therapy. And for people who have gone through some kind of trauma, it, it can be spectacular. Mm. I also want to say, as a father of a daughter diagnosed with multiple special needs, thank you for your work with the Special Olympics. Really appreciate that. Yeah. That's awesome. You know what? I have to tell you real quick. I hope we don't run out of time. But when the publisher kept asking me, what was, you know, what you say that, you know, your trip to the Special Olympics was the highlight of being second lady. She said, I, I think you mean to say one of the highlights. And I said, no, I mean to say the highlight. And then when the editors started working through the book, they said, oh, I think she meant to say one of the highlights. And I said, no, this was the highlight of being second lady. And I tell the story of leading a delegation to Special Olympics two different times. And I have to tell you, those kids were so inspirational that it it really was the highlight for me to represent our country on the foreign stage with our Special Olympics athletes. That's pretty. That is amazing. I agree with you. That would be a, that would be awesome. Wow. It was. Well, the book is when it's your turn to serve, experiencing God's grace in His calling for your life. Thank you, Karen. Really appreciate it. Great book. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.